This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Ladies and gentlemen, Billy Hallowell and Chris Field, the Church Boys. From the sublime to the ridiculous, but mostly ridiculous. I hate these guys. Yes. Yes, it's us, and I know you miss us. Billy, we have to start out on a sad note. Sad, sad, so sad. So depressing. It's sad so heart-wrenching. I'm, it's so... I don't ugh. know. I don't know how I'm going to go on. I I um, I have lost my mind. You sent me this today, uh, just before we I cried. record. I cried. And, and I cried, too, and it's one of those... It's, 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 I'll tell you what kind of stories. It's, it's, it's one of these kinds of stories. <laughs> Makes me makes me so sad. It's, Horrible. It's it's one of these <laughs> sex box. It's um. Uh, it was the uh, number one. one the, it was the best. I mean, it wasn't number one in ratings, which is why the sex box is no longer going to be with us. But it was so lost, amazing, riveting. We, we have lost one of the um, stellar artistic expressions of our day. Um, I mean, I've sex never box, sex box. We're sorry to say, is no more. And and it shall be missed by by almost no one. Heard of a show that the name is so indicative of what happens on it. It's sex in a box. Sex box. I mean, it's the sex box. It lasted five five. It lasted five episodes. This this show that that brought couples together. This show that um. Silver clipped. The show that well, nothing's more the show nothing's that more was more so romantic touching. than having sex in a soundproof box in front sex of a in studio the audience. That's right. And I I can't help but think that what led to its failure wasn't um wasn't bad lighting. It wasn't a, a bad message where sex uh, inside and outside of marriage is okay, and that sex will fix everything if you do it right. I think it's got to be um <laughs> it's um. It's got to be the fact that people looked at that box. People looked at that box. You, you know what, Chris? Like, let they me take over. I, I don't think you can do this. I, I don't they think look- you're going to be able to make it through. Listen, it's I, been a rough. Sec- it's been a rough morning. Let me let me, just, let me get this thought out. I think people looked at that box, and they said, "Up, uh, what the hell is wrong with you? I'm going to have how many people have had sex in that box? There's not a chance I'm stepping foot inside of there." I mean, That's I hope they have what Windex I think or something to clean it. Does Windex disinfect? I don't even know. I, hope they... I have no idea. You'd have to, if you want me to have sex, there's no way I'd have sex in that box. But if you want me to have sex in the box, you'd have to burn it down first. I'm not going anywhere <laughs> near that box. Do you understand how gross and disgusting that idea is to me? And you know they tape these shows like 10 at a time. You oh, know yeah. how TV works. <laughs> I mean, they tape the streams back to of, back. Streams of people going on. in. I mean, it's like human centipede. It's... Screams of people going into the box and coming out of the box, and it's like, unless I'm the first person going into that box, I'm not stepping foot into that box. You'll have to. Well, but have here's to... my biggest question: Now that the sex box has been canceled from Wii TV, where does the actual box end up? Like, who gets it? You know, I hope that it. I don't know. I wonder if it's, it's... for sale. Going to auction it off, maybe. 
<laughs> we could auction this sex box off on oh. the Church Boys podcast. You know, Blaze TV's always looking for new programming. Oh my gosh. Oh, you're bringing wow. up with, let's, let's talk to Glenn. Oh <laughs> Betsy. my gosh. Hey, Betsy, we got an idea. I mean, listen, everybody who had a brain knew that this was absolutely disgusting. So the fact that the network pushed through, and I think it was a show out in England beforehand, and that England didn't like it either, apparently. America doesn't like it. I I mean, it opened with 378,000 viewers in the first episode. It never got higher than 490,000. Um, so, I mean, obviously, a lot but of the you know cable what? shows don't get as many viewers. And apparently, sadly for WeTV, that 490000 apparently was up from a previous show that was in that time slot, but still not good enough. And also, let's not forget, you had the Parents Television Council and, and conservatives and a lot of others going after the network continuously <laughs> on this, you know, trying to get it off the what, air. I mean, the idea that it was a good idea in the first place. So, but I, I, you mentioned the ratings, and I hadn't thought about this until just right now. Four hundred ninety thousand. I think mean, wouldn't wouldn't MSNBC kill for those numbers? <laughs> uh, probably. <laughs> um, but I mean, listen, it's uh, well. Also, you got to put this up against other shows, right? You think of like Duck Dynasty, which is right. one of the biggest shows on cable. Yeah. I mean, cable shows again, they don't do that well generally, and I don't have numbers right. in front of me. But you know, five hundred thousand, a million. You know, a million sort of seems like a, a pretty decent number or two million for some cable shows. But so this was low, but not as low as the show they previously had in that well, time but, slot. But I think it's what I think it leads to is an interesting discussion on where our culture is. Right. Why did this thing fail? And I think there's a whole lot of reasons. One of them's a good reflection, possibly on our culture. And one is maybe a not so great reflection on our culture. And and so I, I guess, let's start with the, let's start with the negative because negative is always more fun. Right. But the negative thing on our culture could be, correct me if I'm wrong, sex box. You're like, what? If the name of your show is sex box, how are you advertising it? With sex, right? And if the, if the hook is the sex part, there's no talk about relationship. That's, you're calling it sex box. You got the flashing light. Your hook is the fact that people are going to go into this box and have sex and come out and talk about it. Well, if, if your hook is the sexual side, but nothing is seen. There's nothing salacious about it as far as what your eyeballs are taking in. People can get porn for free anytime they want on their computers. So why would they watch it? If, if, the, if the salaciousness is, is what your hook is and not really fixing relationships, because if you're not talking about sex inside of marriage and how that can be a healthy thing, you're not really caring about relationship anyway, so you're not really talking about relationship. What you're talking about is the sex side. It's not going to sell because people say, I can go get the free stuff online anytime I want, and it's much more explicit. I can actually see skin, right? Yeah, and I think that's true. Also, I mean, I don't know. that you, you sort of look at some of the primetime shows, which have gotten more sexual, definitely, and it's funny because you know we've talked about this off air, and and we've talked a little bit about it on air. But you know, you look at Mark and Roma and what they're doing, and and the Bible, and now AD, and you see that Hollywood sort of embracing Christianity and embracing a little bit of the Bible, right. and at the same time that that's happening, shows like Sex Box are popping out. And I think what you're saying might be true, but there's also an, another interesting dynamic but because think, there was. But that's but that was going to be my point on the like the good point. The the thing that points to the good side of our culture is that. We've got a whole bunch of religious movies and shows that are being made, right? You know, and that are succeeding while something like Sexbox fails. So anyway, well, and, go ahead. and isn't it like it's interesting? And I said this to you before off off air. I think it's almost like this weird spiritual warfare going on in Hollywood, yeah. right? You have you have 
shows intensifying and how graphic they are at the same time that really positive Bible-based shows are coming out. And you sort of see this happening, and it's almost like a seesaw, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know. that That's just how I've, I've been looking at it. And it's funny because A&E was also dealt a pretty big um, blow recently because they obviously have Duck Dynasty, which is a very positive show that includes prayer and, and comedy and everything else. But Neighbors with Benefits, which was a show they had about swingers, yep. it only lasted two episodes and that was just pulled as That's well. So you wonder, you know, what is it? It may be a mixture of the two. Some people, it's just not enough. Right. Oh, we're going with that sound. I is just, this our sound for all horrible things in life? No, just for the things that need to be mocked. <laughs> Uh, so you're gonna play it when I talk then sometimes. You like this? Sex box. So, Sex box. Um, oh, so you and you brought up and and just I want to throw this out as I want to throw this out as an aside just because um you had a really cool interview this week uh, with Duck Dynasty peeps. You brought up Dyn- Duck Dynasty the success that they've had and they've got some other projects they're working on. And you got to talk to Willie and Corey. Um, and it's I a did. it's a video that is available on theblaze.com. You can go check it on theblaze.com. Is it under the faith section? Hold on a minute, I'm getting but a Billy, phone call. Billy has a phone call. Billy, my go wife ahead. calls me. This is funny because they don't. Neither of our wives listen to the show, and at the same time, every time we're recording it, my phone rings because she forgets that I have a show. And here we are. But yeah, so I got a chance to. You got talk to talk to with... Willie and Corey. I got to talk with William and Corey, and you know, really cool. Obviously, they're sort of—I would say—sort of the primary couple on Duck Dynasty. Willie right. is one of the sons of Phil and Kay, and we sat down. We talked about faith and fame and their family, and uh, really had a great discussion. Um, learned some things about the show. It's always fun to talk with people about the ins and outs of a show, like things you didn't really realize beforehand. And so we had a chance to do some of that, and uh, it's about a twenty-five-minute interview. So, so what we're going to make that available. Um, on audio, right? And that's well what I, that's people. why that's why I wanted to bring it up. You had mentioned Duck Dynasty, and it just struck me that you know, folks who are listening to this, we want you to know we're gonna uh, do our best to get the audio from that interview and then put it on our um, Church Boy stream, so that if you're listening to us on iTunes or, or on SoundCloud or wherever, whatever app you use, you'll be able to download that um, that interview as a podcast rather than have to sit on your computer and watch it. Watch the video. We'll actually make the audio of that interview, and you really, really I mean. You're looking. There's there's three people in the video: Willie, uh, Billy, and Corey. And there's really one of those three people even worth looking at. And it's not Willie, and it's not <laughs> Billy. And so you she, really won't be missing out on much. She's a she's beautiful, but you know, the interview is fantastic. And I really and I got to be honest with you, I really enjoyed listening to the interview. So we're going to make that available as a as a church. Wait, this is a compliment. You're complimenting me. Okay, fine. I'll stop now. We're going to make. <laughs> We're going to make that available as a as a downloadable podcast so you can have that and you can listen to it on your iPhone or whatever. Um, anyway, so just wanted to throw that out there. Um, I think we hammered this Xbox thing enough. I mean... Yeah, I think bottom line, <laughs> we're glad it's gone. And so so let's, keeping it, let's keep it in the, in the realm of the weird and the news of the weird. And um, speaking of weird, Nancy Grace. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, before we get to Nancy Grace, because I have a lot of things I could say about Nancy Grace. I know that you won't go there because you're kind. I'm a Christian. I'm a church boy. Jesus loving. Um, You're a a respectable human being, a a respectable member of um, civilized society. And I'm not. So uh, I have a lot of things I would love to say about Nancy Grace that maybe I will or won't, depending on how far you let me go. But... (laughs) 
you were on Nancy Grace this week. Um, quote, I, I'm putting air quote. I'm putting air quotes around on Nancy Grace this week because they had you in and it was just a show as the as the, as the sports junkies would say. <sighs> um, to tell them why you go went on Nancy Grace because this is the story of the weird and the strange and the perhaps criminal. Well, I guess criminal because there's charges filed, but and then we'll play some audio from. <laughs> Sure. So from her, from basically, her, from her excellency's show, there's there's a church down in Texas, and um, it was it's really it's a house, and a bunch of families live in this house, and apparently the pastor and his wife who own the home um, have created this sort of live-in house of worship, and in that house of worship, it's apparently a Pentecostal church. Uh, which, by the way, is not zoned for the home that it's operating in. Uh, but that's the least of their problems. A little boy, two and a half year old, died inside the home. How many families? At the end how many of families March. live in this in this house? Yes. How yes. many? He lived in the house with his parents. But how many families live in this house? How many families? Four families, and then one single guy, according okay, so, to the police report. So, so the five families. So the pastor and his wife, who are attempting, who the the child who died. Does it? Does the child who died belong to the family that owns the house and no. leads the church? No. So this is where the story gets really interesting. Okay, so explain, he does not belong to them. Explain the living situation, how many families are there, who the child belongs to, and then who committed whatever the crime they're calling it. Sure. So this kid, this two-and-a-half-year-old, belongs to a couple. They're, they're illegal immigrants. Um, he, however, is a citizen, the kid. Um, and that's important for a number he was, of de- he was born here. He was born here. Is that... What you're saying? Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. He was born here. So um, basically, these four families or so, they worship at the church and they view the pastor and his wife. And it really seems like the wife has the control here, but they view her as a prophet of sorts who, who speaks, God speaks through her to them. And she believed for whatever reason, according to the police reports and witness testimony, that the little boy was possessed. And no. so in in order to treat his possession, they withheld food. So and wait, so um, wait, he the- hadn't. The pastor and his wife withheld the food. Is that yes, correct? From this other couple's kid. They no, recommended the, that the family withhold food. The pastor and his wife, are they legal? Uh, yes, they are legal. And, and they as own far as home. I know, the funny part is the pastor the pastor himself, he's in the, the video of this, which we could talk about, um, but he has not had any charges filed against him yet. Okay. And, and really, it's his wife. She's the one that seemed to be leading all of this, according okay. to the witnesses. So they, they suggested withholding food from the child in order to, what, starve the demon who was in him? or Yeah, I mean, that's the hard part to figure out. It seems like that would be the logical, well, it's not logical, but if you're following the line of thinking that the witnesses were explaining that that was why. They were trying to starve him to get rid of the demon. But there were also some reports that when I was reading through the police reports of them saying if the kid acted up, if he didn't say amen after he was fed, that they would withhold food as punishment. So Hmm. it was hard to tell how much of this was punishment versus a belief that he was possessed. But there was a belief that he was possessed, and that came through in all the witness testimony. And people in the house were so afraid of the pastor's wife and the pastor that they wouldn't feed him. They saw this poor kid suffering, and the other people wanted to help him. They would try to sneak him food, and when they were chastised, they would stop. So that's how much control it appears this family, these two, pastor and his wife, had over the other people, including the parents, although the pastor's wife said in police in the police interview that she only made recommendations, that it was up to the parents. Uh, but clearly they believe what she was saying. Unbelievable. So now the the wife, the pastor's wife has been brought up on charges. Is that correct? What about the parents of the child? Okay, so the pastor's wife has been brought and up on charges. And what has happened with the, with the they, they attempted to now resurrect the child. Is that right? Right. I and mean, that's the so hook. He dies. That's been the weird hook of the story, right? He hasn't right? been fed. 
in 25 days, right? Okay. He dies. And they hold a ceremony to try to bring him back to life. That doesn't work, obviously. The pastor so, and his wife hold the ceremony? Yeah, and the parents and some of the church okay. members, apparently. But in the video, the pastor's wife is holding this kid. Okay. Um, and there's somebody took video of this, and the police have the full thing, the full video. There's like a 30-second clip out, out there that we had on the blades, too. But the what happens next is what makes the case so complicated. The pastor's wife leaves with the parents of this little boy the next morning, and they take the body to Mexico, apparently for burial. Okay. Now— that means the body's now left the U.S. He is a U.S. citizen because he was born here, and they can't find the parents. The police don't know where the parents are, so they can't charge them. They don't have the body. You know, when I when I called the police, they said to me, one of the detectives said, listen, we think he died. That's what all the witnesses are saying, but we can't even prove that 100% because we don't have the body. Right. Um, so it's a very complicated case. She, however, came back, obviously, and that's why she was then arrested and interviewed, arrested and charged. Okay, and she's being held without bail or bond or anything, or, or what's the... Yeah, she's being held, and I can't remember... It's on a $100,000 bond, actually. Okay. All right. So, so. She's, being, she's being held right now on a $100,000 bond. She was arrested this past Monday. So, you know, I, I don't know the status of anyone else in the case. The police told me they, they assume they will probably charge other people, but right now they have not. Right, so now, in, in just when you thought the story couldn't get any stranger... We have this. You are seeing video of the alleged exorcism resurrection from KXAS. Let's see it in full, Liz. Now, we're showing you the video of the resurrection service. There you see the pastor on the right, the pastor's wife with a microphone on the left. We're blurring baby Benjamin, the child that has been exercised for 25 straight days. You can't understand what they're saying because she says she's speaking in tongues. Okay, so what's weird is so Nancy says they're speaking in tongues and yet you hear, is it Spanish translators in the back? Yeah, I don't know. The, the thing about this video that's kind of odd is that the police, I mean, I guess it's not odd at this point in an investigation. They've not made a decision if they're going to release it. Somebody gave this video out to media, and it's only 30 seconds. Right. So that's what everyone's operating off of. So we don't really know everything that's going on in that clip. Um, and the police said that, you know, they have a longer video, but they're right. not prepared to give right. that so out crazy, yet, so. crazy Nancy Grace goes on and on, and then finally she gets, I shouldn't call her Crazy Nancy Grace because I'm sure she's just, a lovely woman, a lovely person. I don't know Nancy. All I know is uh, what everybody else sees on TV. And I have my own interpretation of Nancy. A lovely, charming Southern belle uh, who makes no presumptions and is a great journalist and lawyer. So that is my take on Nancy, uh, <laughs> Nancy Grace. You are so Nancy then pill. Nancy then because Billy has been one of the how many people had covered this uh, by the time you had covered it hardly anybody had covered it right no yeah it didn't get much coverage it was just a, and, a couple and, of and it was a really complicated outlets. story because you and I talked about it as you were writing it you and I were talking about the story. I think maybe the Daily Mail had done, they had done something on the video. They had done something right. on the video, but nobody, and it was interesting because, you know, obviously you want the details. Everybody right. loves, oh, they tried to resurrect this kid from the dead, but nobody really had tied all of the details together. There were maybe Until four you. outlets that had covered it. Until you, right? So you're Until the me. one who had gone and 
try to talk to the police department. Actually, you got a response from the police department eventually, right? Because you and I were going back and forth, and I'm asking you questions. You're like, I don't even know. So, And you're in the middle yeah. of writing the story and editing the story and changing things around. And then she contacts you because you're the guy who's actually done the work on the story, right? Right. So, she, yeah, she okay. reaches so out. And she they reaches say, out hey, to you. Come on the show. And, and what people have to understand about Nancy's show is, much like um, uh, Bill O'Reilly's show, they don't do it live. They, it's not live broadcast, right? They, they record everything and then they take clips and do things and, and whatever, right? Isn't that how it works? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So I'm not revealing any secrets. I mean, this, and I'm not revealing any secrets here. I'm not trying to, you know, discredit Nancy in any, in any way. She's good at that herself. I, no, that was not nice. That was not kind or gracious. Are you, are you boarding the bus to hell or have you already boarded? <laughs> I'm just, I'm pedal to the metal. <laughs> So Billy is Billy is the one who has done the work on this story. He has figured it out. I mean, figured it out for as much as is out there. He's contacted the police. He's done all this work. So Nancy Grace says, I'm going to have Billy Hallowell on. Makes sense. Billy's done the work. He knows this issue better than anyone, even better than Nancy Grace, except for the fact that he doesn't apparently know it better than Nancy Grace. So <laughs> here's Billy's. Now, this is the point of the telling this. I think this is an interesting story generally that I think our listeners to the church boys would enjoy. But this was the best part of the story for me. <laughs> Billy, the one who has done the work on the story is invited on to Nancy Grace to explain the story. And we will pick up there. Resurrection service from KXAS to Billy Hollowell, fate editor at The Blaze. I only know for sure of one person that came back from the dead. And that was... Okay. Wrong, Nancy, but we'll, we'll go ahead and just go. Here we go. Not him. All right, Billy, what happened? So, you know, they, they hold this ceremony in an effort to try to bring him back. Okay, to okay I'm sorry. <laughs> Wait, but can I We're explain gonna, I'm gonna something I'm going to start this over, okay? Billy looks like he's in a hostage video. <laughs> <laughs> Billy looks like, this looks like an ISIS propaganda. <laughs> You're okay, sitting, wait. Is this in your, I want to address something else aside from the house? fact that I have a yellow wall behind me in the clip. The the fact <laughs> is, after the whole story has been told at this point, you know, you're sort of asked what happened, and you're in a weird position. And it's fun to talk about this because I think people who watch these clips on the news have no idea what's going on right behind the so scenes. So when you're made to look like a when you're made to look look like a dullard, you need to be able to explain yourself. <laughs> No, I mean, listen, it was it was it was fun going on the show. I would yes, go on anytime absolutely. again. But, you know, it. you're asked to to explain the story and it's already been explained. So, you know, I'm trying to explain the details that haven't been explained. And here's what happens. OK, so we're, I'll go back. to I'm going to start it over and I will try not to interrupt. But she does say I only know of one person who's been resurrected, except for the fact that Jesus and Lazarus and Jairus's daughter and Elijah, I think, raised some kid from the dead. And there's been other that doesn't matter. But so she has Billy the expert on, and here's how that goes. Blaze, I only know for sure of one person that came back from the dead, and that was not him. All right, Billy, what happened? So, you know, they, they hold this ceremony in an effort to try to bring him back to life. It doesn't happen. They leave the house. We don't know where they are. We don't know their whereabouts. And, Hold on. You know, right Let me now back it up, Billy. So at the time of this resurrection service, this, I, I, I don't even know what you would call it, that they're performing on the little boy, he's dead when they bring him into the church, right? 
Well, here's the thing. They're living in the church. So, I mean, this right, story is so Right, but is the boy dead in this, picture, yes, in this is, video? Is, yes, according to witnesses, he is dead at this point when they're doing this Everyone, ceremony. you're seeing video of the alleged exorcism resurrection <laughs> from KXAS. And that's it. And that's my appearance, that's everyone. It. That's the entire thing. Um, that's you know, the, I, that's I was trying thing. to make the point, though, that you know, I wanted to differentiate that there's so many other layers of this case. It's not this isn't like a church on the side of the road. It's somebody's house. Yeah, but you were trying living. To, there. You were trying to bring up facts on Nancy Grace's show, and that's just not allowed. <laughs> you are terrible. <laughs> what did Nancy Grace ever do nothing, to you? Was there a nothing, bad appearance? Nothing. Where... I, you know, you know, it's there's nothing. I frankly. OK, to be totally honest, totally 100 percent honest. I like Nancy Grace. I really do. I think that there's something. But at the same time, even you know what I like even more than Nancy Grace? I like making fun of Nancy Grace. Because it's <laughs> Wait, just, it's like lobbing the softball. did we have an episode where we did this, though, with the doobies? <laughs> <laughs> Talked about marijuana. I feel like we did have a oh, Nancy Grace we, episode. We have had a Nancy Grace episode. And apparently Nancy Grace has had a lot of episodes herself. <laughs> because I don't know, maybe she has fallen. Maybe she hit her head. I don't have any idea other than that story. Because again, I think that the resurrection story and the criminal thing behind it, all that stuff, I think the story that you wrote is fascinating, worth talking about, and we did. But to me, the best part was Nancy Grace dealing with you, the person she called on to talk about the story. Well, I had, and listen, then, I had so much prepared too. I had so much prepared to talk about because I think, you know, it's one of these bizarre stories. And by the way, well, I can't say that, forget it. I was going to share a detail that I can't share, but you know, you're also <laughs> you are you're, you're also told hang, you're certain leave, oh. things that you're not supposed to say in these interviews. Sometimes, well, like that Nancy Grace, details. is that a wig? <laughs> <laughs> or you Nancy are, Grace, do you dye your roots dark? You I mean, are, out, that, are those the things Nancy, you're not allowed to bring? If you're listening, Nancy, if you're listening, <laughs> please have me back. <laughs> no, I. You know what? And I. I say this because this is just. Shut a, up! This is a. Wait, this is just a stupid it, show. This is just a stupid say. show, and I like Nancy Grace, and it's Shut not. A, it's, it's not an you attempt. Can't, you can't be like, hey, by the way, stupid. Oh no, no, no! I didn't mean that. Hey, you're really ugly, but oh, you know. But I'm you a have nice a nice Christian. personality. <laughs> you're terrible. <laughs> You know Listen, what? I would go back I... any time to be shut down in two seconds. I'm fine with it. Okay. Shut me down. Okay. Speaking of shut you down, let's take a break and we'll be right back. Back to the church boys. So we're going to be talking quite a bit about homelessness and poverty today. And we have an interview that we're going to air a little bit later on after we talk about our next story. And it's really with a fascinating woman who Chris professed his love to. Oh, man. And you'll hear that she disturbing awesome. tidbit in the middle of that interview. She but was fantastic. her name is Joan Cheever. Joan Cheever. What are she, you going to say, Chris? I, said, I was just saying she's so fantastic. I loved her. I thought I, I asked her, are you the coolest woman in all of Texas? And I love you. And then you said, I'm in love with you. Well, and yeah, but, said, but, but obviously because our wives don't listen, we can say whatever we want. And so. And there so you, you did. I thought, you anyway, did, I thought, I thought it was a great interview. We had fun with her. She actually really enjoyed it. And, and it's a great message. Um, you need to hear what she has to say because it was, she it runs, was, she runs a mobile food truck for the poor. And right. that's, that's the teaser we've done. A, we did a story about her on the blaze. So you might be familiar, but you know, she was fined by the government. I won't go much further yeah. than that right now. And, and she's going to talk to us about that. Yeah, And she gave us um, about 20, 25 minutes of, of really good material. So she's fierce. She is in a good way. She is in a good way, and she's very pro Constitution, all that stuff. So, so check it out. She, but she, it's about helping people. So, 
on the flip side of that, we have another story in Connecticut, and I think you know, Chris, you really loved this one. You thought it was uh, uh, was interesting, and I think it's I good for small myself. government. You know, people who are interested in small government or who are concerned about big government. The long story short of this is that in Connecticut, there's a new rule that if you take money from the government in your homeless shelter, you then, as a homeless shelter taking public money, have to allow anybody into your shelter to stay who you find high or you find on drugs when they come in. You have to. Now, most shelters already do, but some don't for very, very specific reasons, That and we can get into that. And this one shelter, it's operated by the Manchester Area Conference of Churches. It's been around for about four decades. Is closing down because they won't have the money to operate and they're refusing to allow people on drugs and alcohol to sleep in their facility. And, and it's not just a matter of you have to allow people who are high to come in. Like if somebody, somebody's high on pot or somebody's stoned or whatever, you have to let them come in. It's if they're actively using, right? Is that right. what that's what the story says? Is actively using. Now, I understand. I don't think you should be mandated to help. If you're helping people, you shouldn't be mandated on what kinds of people you have to help. I'm, I'm trying to help people, right? Well, no, you have to help people. And it's a ridiculous it's a ridiculous law. But if you're running the facility and you want to turn away someone who is stoned and is more likely to conduct criminal activity or behave in a way that is going to put the lives or well-being of other people in the facility at risk, you should be able to turn them away. But the state says, the state not only says you have to allow that person. So if some person's drunk or if the person's high or stoned or whatever, you have to let them in, even though there's a good chance, there's an increased chance, I should say, that they're going to hurt themselves or someone else. Not only do they go that far in that ridiculousness, you're not, if they are actively using. So apparently if I've got a heroin addict and he's got a needle in his arm and walking through the door, I still have to admit him. So I have to admit criminal behavior into my facility. Well, they use, um, and this is sort of interesting because I guess if you're drunk, it's not criminal behavior. But if you're on drugs, drunk in public is. is drunk in public is against the law. Okay, so yes, it is. So, but if you walk in, they actually give you a breathalyzer. That's how this. That's how this place would figure out who was drunk, and so you would be turned away potentially. The only time they made they make an exception for this is when it's cold, very cold out. Um, obviously, because the, they facility, don't want the, wait, to die. the only time the facility makes the exception, not yes. the government. The yeah, facility. Yeah, yeah, not the government. So basically, all of this goes back to this federal policy, and it's called Housing First, and. You know, I, I'm actually really interested in learning more about how long you get housing. But basically, the premise of this is that by giving people housing as soon as possible, so getting them into a shelter and then filtering them into permanent housing without any regard to their drug and substance abuse, without any stipulations, you get them into housing. That The belief is doing that is better. Um, that's what's guiding all of this. So you have to take the people in if you're going to take pe federal funds because you have to get them into housing. But, you know, the question I have is how long do you stay in housing? What if you're not improving? What if you're not making steps for yourself? You know, those are concerns that I would have with this. Uh, oh, I have concerns in that the government shouldn't be funding it in the first place at all. They should have no say in it at all in any way. They should not be funding it. None of it. Okay. Now, if the government's going to fund, if, if I'm going to put money into something, or if the government's going to put money into something, if you're putting money into something, you get to stipulate what that money can be used for or can't be used for. I, can, I get that, and I agree with that. However, what a stupid rule that if someone is conducting criminal activity, they have heroin in the syringe, and have it even having it is against the law. They've got heroin in the syringe that they just boiled in a spoon. They sucked it in the syringe. They're about to put it in their veins, which is against the law. And they walk in the doors of your facility. You have to admit them, even though they are currently and actively conducting criminal activity. 
You still now, have to I let them in. Know if they found drugs on someone, I don't know what they would do. That's actually a really but good that's, question. But so here's, but that's, but that's why my, so maybe, maybe the story isn't quite right. But it says a mandate that requires institutions accepting state funding to allow admittance to admit, individuals who are actively using drugs. So in that moment, in terms of actively using, in that moment, under the influence of. Um, or in terms of actively using regularly, let's say. Right. So, so if, but if it's but an overnight, it, if it's an overnight facility, and I'm a heroin addict, I got to have my fix every six hours, let's say. So I can't kick you out if I catch you using it. Well, I doubt they're checking people too. I mean, I doubt they're going through people's but if stuff. I, I but if know. I catch you using it, if you're sitting on, if there's all the picture that's that's here is a bunch of beds, and if I'm one of the people who's maybe doing security there or I'm one of the staffers there and I'm helping people or bringing them water or food or whatever and I see someone sitting on their bed injecting heroin under their arms which is a criminal activity I can't kick them out because they're actively well, using right I don't know how far that active use goes in terms of when you're violating the law in the facility I don't know about that but if you are under the influence or a or a drug user who you know will use again while they're staying there because you stay there I think they allow up to 15 days at this right. particular and you place. know they're going to use again right exactly and I can't so that's, that's I can't what keep them means here but yeah I I can't listen, keep them out if listen, they're conducting this, criminal activity this particular clinic, or this, not clinic, oh my gosh, too many, I've been writing too many abortion stories. This particular homeless shelter um, is, basically tries to get people back on track. And the whole goal is if you come in, it's short term, you are going to get a job, you're going to get on a plan to improve your life. And the and the board felt that by allowing people in who might be distracting, that would be hurtful to the other people trying to get their lives on track. And what's interesting though is a lot of people who work for homelessness organizations in the state uh, disagreed with this this particular group shutting down. They felt like the government was right. I mean, a lot of the critiques were saying, no, the government's right about this. Housing first is the way to go. Right. And, you know, so well, they, I, they, I don't know. They, they, I, they, I understand why they don't want right, to your have story, Your story says, and it concludes with, supporters argue that the state is doing the right thing and that shelter should not be turning people away. Okay, I understand not turning people away, but if I'm doing this as a, don't tell me who I have to help. But but also, what about the people who are there who aren't using who and who are vulnerable to the increased likelihood of bad behavior by the people who are actively using? Because people who are on drugs, stoned, high, drunk, whatever, who are abusing substances are statistically more likely to engage in bad behavior and put the well-being of others around them in jeopardy. But here's the bigger issue, okay? This particular clinic, and it, maybe it's not the bigger issue, but it's it's an equally sized relevant issue. This particular this particular institution, it costs $330,000 a year to run it, okay? So $330,000, the government is giving about half of that, about 174,000. There's mistake if number this, 1. If this place did not exist, the government would have to pay that 330,000, okay? Now, they're giving half of the money and now they want all this say in how it operates. But without this place, the need has to be met. It's just interesting to me that churches and all these other groups do all this great work in the community. And by the way, this was founded as a conference of churches, a group right. of churches. Right. And then the government comes in and wants to change everything. Meanwhile, these groups are doing the work of of the government. The government should be grateful for that. And and I mean, for small government people, it's concerning when you see these organizations shutting down and the government's going to have a bigger hand in the pot. Yeah, it's well, it's aggravating but it's again another example of why the government's got to leave us the frig alone 
Leave us alone in our business dealings. Leave us alone in our churches. Leave us alone in our marriages, in our bedrooms. Leave us alone when we are trying to help other people. You are you are Sasha oh, Fierce today. I am Sasha Fierce. You know, don't mess with me. <laughs> you're you are you're a character. That's you're a character. Well, you're should a, we you're do, do, do we need to take a break before you're we get a, into our interview? Oh, I suppose we probably should. So on the other side of this break, we're going to come up. We're, speaking of the government getting involved and poking its nose and helping others when it shouldn't, we're going to get uh, we're going to get right back here with an interview with uh, what's her name, Joan. What's her name from San Antonio? What's her name? Oh, Joan Cheever. Joan Cheever from San Antonio, who has a mobile food truck that just it feeds homeless. It's called people. the Chow Train. <laughs> it actually makes me hungry. <laughs> I'm hungry. I'm always I'm, hungry. I'm always hungry. Uh, anyway, we'll be right back. And now, back to the church boys. They're a real pain in my So we promised you an interview with uh, with Joan Cheever and her chow train from, uh, from San Antonio. Billy and I had a chance to talk to her um, earlier, and she is just an amazing woman. I call her the coolest woman in Texas. I think she's doing the Lord's work. She is helping people with her food truck. Uh, she's feeding hundreds of people a week, I think. And she's been doing it, what, seven years, she said, Billy? I think she said eight or nine years. Okay. Eight or nine years. And then she's had the food truck for... Just a couple. The licensed food truck. 2011, right? Something like that. So like four years, I guess. But yeah. she's... um. The story is, the story that came out is she's been doing this food truck thing, and she she's been friendly with the cops for a long time. And then just last week on on uh, on April seventh, she gets a citation for two thousand dollars from the cops for doing this, and uh, it's something she's been doing for years. She's licensed; she has a licensed food truck, uh, and she has a court date set for for June. And she is not taking this lying down. She is fighting this. She's going to fight it all the way. She claims the Constitution. She claims the nineteen ninety nine uh, Texas Religious Freedom Restoration Act. All that stuff. She stands behind it. She's a, a nice Catholic lady. Who is um? She is. Wait, can I just say something? Takes no garbage from anybody. My favorite part, and I'm laughing because it's like, well, all right, what are you gonna do? You gonna pay this two thousand dollar fine? And her answer was just, nope. Like, nope, nope. I'm not doing it. Not happening. Nope. So um, she is not. Yeah, she's not backing down at all. And she'll go ahead. Well, the issue, the issue, and you know, I want to say it beforehand because I think it doesn't. It's not as clear in the interview because there's so many details. Um, the issue is that she has a food truck that is permitted, which is which is great. Right. But she, they transported food this particular day, and they have other times as well in other vehicles that are not permitted to do to transport food. Which but, is, I mean, but, silly, her, but but the example that she gives, and I think she's right, is she says this is what catering organizations do. It's a licensed. You take it from a licensed kitchen. You take it in your catering racks. It's still hot. It's still clean. It's just that's what she was doing, and it's what she has done for a long time because she can't. She said the places that that we take that we would take the food. This fourteen foot trailer food truck doesn't fit in these in these streets or alleys or wherever it is they're going. So they carry the food just like a caterer would. It's licensed, coming from a licensed kitchen from the food truck. It's being catered. It's all this stuff so she said the fact that suddenly suddenly somebody's finding me is ridiculous and so she has her theories and we'll let her we'll let her share her theories on what happened why it happened maybe who's after her or whatever um but it's a really good interview wait no no the biggest question 
Is the love mutual? Does she love you as much as you love her? Well, I think so. I think there's a little something there. Oh, boy. Just don't tell Mrs. Fields about that. We are here today with Joan Cheever of the Chow Train. And this is a mobile food truck that serves food to the homeless and really just uh, want to commend you, first of all, Joan, for the great work you do for the poor there in San Antonio. But you ran into an incident uh, recently, I, I believe it was April 7th, where you were fined $2,000 by the police. Um, can you can you just take us through to start what, what happened? Well, it was um, an uh, evening like every other evening. On Tuesday, we go to three stops before the last stop. And at the last stop, it's closer to downtown, but really probably 10 blocks away from the Alamo. Uh, we're on the side of the street that it's not a thoroughfare, and it's a public park called Maverick Park where we go. And we started um, pulling out the containers of hot soup, and all of a sudden the bicycle of police officers, four of them, came up, and as they usually do, they come up and say, how are you doing, or what's laugh, what's on the menu, um, are y'all, you know, are y'all good here, and uh, I asked them if they'd like dinner, and they said no, and then they just kind of hung around, usually I say, oh, are you here to arrest me, because that's kind of been our little shtick for, you know, years, and their reply always is, no, we're here to thank you, we'll arrest you, we're here to thank you, but uh, on Tuesday night, they said, yeah. We're here to give you a citation. And I said, for what? And they said, for uh, serving people food. You're not licensed to do it. And I said, yes, we are. And they said, show us the permit. And in, in the beginning, my husband, who I guess uh, doesn't see police a lot, <laughs> he fumbled a little bit and got the, the old uh, expiration one, but we had a copy of the new one. Their beef was that, that that permit was to be, and it is, attached to the food trailer. The food trailer wasn't with us. We had been moving the food from the food trailer into catering equipment into the pickup truck that pulls the, the trailer. Is that a and common that, thing for you? I mean, is that do you usually work that way where you sort of move the food throughout that process, or did you do something different that night? No, it's it's the same. It might have been a different car, but it's it's the same. It's what um, caterers do when they cook from a restaurant and and go to a you know a, somebody's event. Um, I I don't bring the food truck or food trailer down uh, unless I have about two hundred people. It's just fourteen feet. It's kind of unwieldy going through some of the little narrow streets that we go to 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 get to the people we need to serve. So so you show them the permit, and then what happens? Um, they kind of uh, were caught off guard, and so they spent a good probably 10 minutes. Uh, well, then they asked me for my license, and I said, why do you need that? I mean, I wasn't driving. And um, they said, because we're going to write you a citation. And then... For about 10 or 15 minutes while I was talking to them, one of them was calling into downtown to find out exactly what the ticket was supposed to be for uh, because they couldn't quite figure out. She does have a permit. She says she's a caterer, 
um, you know, what what are we going to decide her on? And um, so that took a while, which I was very thankful that it took that time because it I made sure or looked over my my uh, shoulder and I saw that my volunteers were uh, plating foods fast and furiously and um, <laughs> and and everybody in that line probably about thirty to forty were getting fed. Wow. So Joan, let me let me ask you this: Did they? What was their reason for thinking you didn't have a a permit? I mean, you've been doing this for a while. You've seen the same cops. How long have you been doing this? Let me ask you that first. Well, I've been doing it probably six to eight years. Okay. And I think I haven't had a permit. To have a permit, you have to have a food truck. Right. Or or you have to have a restaurant. And so I, I got a food truck in March of 2011. And so... Um, Every year, you have to have the, the trailer, which is a mobile commercial kitchen on wheels, inspected by the health department and the fire department. So it's a big process, and it, it's not cheap. And um, and so it, it's and it's only a one-year license. So um, and I did that, uh, you know, because I was having conversations with the health department, and they said. Everything needs to come out of a commercial kitchen, and so, and it was coming out of my home, which actually I've been to many commercial kitchens, and I have, my home kitchen is a lot cleaner than other kitchens sure. in restaurants <laughs> I've seen. Uh, but uh, you know, just to uh, to save their fears, and also because I always envisioned having a food truck uh, to take it on the road, and that became perfectly clear when. Um, three days after our food truck was licensed, um, we traveled to Joplin, Missouri, to um, and, were, and was the first food truck in that location to serve the survivors and first responders wow. of that terrible tornado. Wow. So, let, so let me ask then. So you you have a history of having this food truck. They know that you do this. You're familiar with the, these are cops that you've got, you know, you've got your Laurel and Hardy routine that you do every week with them, and they they know who you are. So why suddenly are they asking for a permit? Did they give you a reason that suddenly this came up? Did somebody did somebody make a call and say, you know, this woman is doing this and she doesn't have a permit, or were they tipped off for some reason? Did some do you know if somebody said you've got to go stop this woman for one reason or another? They all I they said is we have our orders, so that meant to me that it was not just a routine stop that so, they were waiting. So so I you know and if you don't want to speculate, don't speculate. But do you have an idea of what's behind this, or is there someone behind this? Have you had run-ins with anyone else in the local government who said you shouldn't do this, or anyone else in a local nonprofit or for-profit that said you shouldn't be doing this, or a community that has said we don't want these homeless people around, so if you keep feeding them here, they're going to be around here. Has that been an issue you had to fight before as well? Yeah, we've not we've not been in a residential area. Uh, I believe that it was. Uh, an order from a, a high-ranking city official, hmm. and who I will not comment about That's the fine. name. And That's fine. Um, I think that also what happened is a couple of weeks before we put on our fiesta week of celebration, that there's always a push to um, 
take out, quote, the trash sure. and clean up the downtown. And I think that um, people in city government feel like the, the, the trash are the people who we serve. And so that because a lot of tourists come in and, you know, the downtown is full of, you know, floats and parades and, yeah. you know, lots of parties that they wanted to clean it up. So that's that's the vibe that's the vibe you got anyway. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So what so they hand you this two thousand dollar citation, this fine, and what's your reaction? What did you say to them? At first I mean I was surprised because I've been doing it so long. I I, I said, Well now oh now I'm getting a ticket. And um and then I said uh and it was very respectful tone. And actually, we were laughing, you know, a couple of times. I said, well, you know, officer, by you giving me this ticket, you have violated two federal laws, a federal judge's order in Dallas, and the Texas Religious Freedom Restoration Act. So your one or my, my four laws, I think, trump your one little city ordinance. <laughs> how, did, how did he respond to that? Not that well. <laughs> <laughs> you know. And I had them in my hand. I said, look, see, I'm not making it up. Right. Here, here's the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. Here's the federal religious freedom. Now, Joan, now, Joan, Joan, yeah. Joan, you yeah. know you can't go around bringing up the Constitution. I know. It's dangerous. <laughs> it's dangerous. <laughs> So had you shown up with your food truck, though, right? Because and correct me if I'm wrong. Had you shown up with your food truck that night, it would have been fine. The issue was that it was a different vehicle that wasn't wasn't registered. Was that was that their problem in the end? No, no. I, I think if I had uh, shown up with a food truck, there they would have given me a a fine. Um, I don't know how much. It was probably it would probably be four to five hundred dollars for having a food truck in the downtown business district um without the proper additional permit you know they they just they they also um are in a fee a way to make money for the city they also are requiring food trucks to not only have a, a health and fire permit but if you want to get into the downtown area which is where all the tourists are um then you have to pay an extra five hundred dollar fee Hmm. Now that's fine for people who are food trucks that are making a ton of money, you know, selling ten dollar hamburgers off their food trucks or shishi food. But I, I'm I'm giving away a three course meal, yeah. so it doesn't make much sense for me to um, have to get that permit for giving away food. Have you, did you know that sort of going into it? Is this sort of one of those things that you just, you sort of ignore it because you can't afford to do it? Or, you know, were you surprised by, you know, would you have been surprised by that? You know, just, I guess, tell me a little bit about why you chose that location too. Oh, well, we had earlier been, for years, been in closer to downtown. And uh, we were at a stop play, a stop sign that said, uh, no waiting, you know, it was a city code zone, and I don't know why. And, I, and when I was on out one week on vacation, the guy who took over got a ticket. Um, <laughs> and I said, you know what, it's really not worth getting. I mean, there's a lot of traffic going back and forth, and I said, 
uh, we can probably find a better location. And only about five blocks up, uh, it's a park, a public park. At least I thought it was a public park. It says it's a public park. But um, so we went there, and it's, you know, they can sit in the grass, and there's like a picnic table under, you know, on, in the center of the, the park. And um, so anyway, it was a nice location, and public parks should be open to everybody who is a member of the public. So, um, so but that's why, that's why we chose it. And it was not a busy street, and it was, it was really off. Um, it, was kind of, it was very out of the way. So that's why we picked it. So, but except, except obviously, Joan, you didn't read the fine print that lunatics waving the Constitution around aren't allowed in the public park. Did you you miss? If you're referring to me as a lunatic, uh, yeah, you're probably. <laughs> but uh, if if I put on uh, better clothes and uh, pearls and sat on a park bench, I don't think I would have been moved out of that park. Yeah. But, um. So have you paid the fine? Do you have any plan? And if you haven't, do you have any plans to pay it? No. Uh, I have a court date of June 23rd. And by just saying those six six, uh, little words, uh, the six little words that apparently have gone around the nation now, you are violating the Texas religious, my Texas Religious Freedom Restoration Act, uh, now it's like all over the news because I mean this is to me this is a no-brainer. I've been I've been telling the city for six years what the law was, what the rights they were violating, what their burden of proof has to be under these laws, and I've written them legal memorandums. I've given them to them, uh, and you know so I've told them about this case in Dallas, which is exactly the same fact pattern that came out um, two years ago by a federal court judge and the city of Dallas lost. So actually, it shouldn't be a surprise to them that I whispered those little words. Or actually, I don't whisper at all, but I said those words. (laughs) Um, And, you know, I called it a puny little ordinance that has no no merit. Mm. So... And, you know, you mentioned in the past having to sort of have a back and forth um, with, with the city. And I know this has come up a few times in this interview. But what what are some of the past issues that you had had with them before that required that back and forth? Um, I think we went, uh, the founder, co-founder of another group that's been in business for 25 years, um, under the bridge. We went to talk to the city health commissioner and to talk about way, the way we serve and why we serve and who we serve. And we had a very pleasant meeting with him. I mean, I brought um, samples of the soup and the breads <laughs> that we serve. It was kind of like, which one do you like better, Dr. Guerra? And um, in, a, in the meeting, you know, invited everybody to have a little cup of soup. And it, they just said, you can't do that. You have to be in a commercial kitchen. Uh, and that at that time, you know, I I didn't even know at that time the food trucks didn't exist. So uh, sure. they they wanted they their push was to get us all to to cook in the commercial kitchen at Haven for Hope, which was which is a relatively new uh, 125 million dollar shelter in the west part of D 
downtown. And we said, no, thank you. Um, that we liked where we were and uh, many, many of the people that we serve have mental issues or can't handle being in a closed environment and we respected that and we were going to continue to serve them where they live on the other part of town. That you can't force a homeless person to go into a shelter. Right. Um, if they're not, you know, hurting themselves or anybody else. Hmm. So I guess it's a question of geography. Yeah. So, so Joan, let me ask you a personal question. You can tell me to pound sand if you want to, but what? why do you do this? Get as, get as real or as as you like, but how, why do you do what you do? I do it because I was raised to do this, that I was raised in the Catholic Church. I take the Bible seriously. Mm. I have had a, an incredible empathetic mother who used to do this all the time in her own way, take care of people, see somebody needed a coat, and she'd grab one from the back seat. You know, she might even grab one off of one of us and uh, her kids. And I do it because there's a need. And I do it because it's, I feel like that's the one thing I can do. I can't end hunger and I can't end homelessness. And that's for a bigger group and smarter people. But what I can, um, and, and that will never end, end of that, but... The, the motto of the child train is fighting hunger one plate at a time. Yeah. And so if I, I'm, when I put a hot plate of good food in someone's hands, it's, a, it's my expression of, I care about you, I see you, you're not invisible, and this is my plate of love to you. Mm. What, if you had the government in front of you right now, if you had judges in front of you, if you had local authorities in front of you, what message would you deliver to them about this fine and about the overall issue that you just spoke to? I would tell them there is nothing in the law or in their heart that can stop a good Samaritan from helping someone who needs help. Um, that we take care of each other as a community and sometimes people fall down and we have to help them up. And that's, that's what I tell them. They cannot make a good Samaritan into a criminal. I mean, they shouldn't be making homelessness and poverty a crime, but you know, that's, that's horrible and in and of itself. But now we're saying you can't do this because only we are, our, our shelters can do it. And what are you going to say when you get to court? What I mean, what what is your defense going to be? How are you going to fight back against this? Well, I'm going to um, ho- hopefully have a room full of people and uh, who will testify to my character and te- and testify. I'm going to uh, talk about the the four laws that they violated uh, on that night and um, that their ordinance is unconstitutional and it needs to be repealed. So jo- and if they say no, you know, that's a legal argument, then I'm going to ask for a jury trial hmm. based on my rights were violated. So, so Joan, um, is there anything that the people who read our articles about you or listen to this uh, show 
Uh, is there anything that they can do to support you? Do you have a website up, or is there uh, what can what can we do? Yes, we we have a website up. Thank you for asking. It's www.thechildtrain.com, uh, and we have a Facebook page, the, the Child Train. And at the urging of my techie young children, um, they and at the request of many other people who have commented, we have now put up a GoFundMe um, page. Um, I mean, you can get to it on the. The, by going to the Facebook page or to the website. And so people are uh, making donations, and that really it, it, that really helps and it really uh, warms my heart because these are little donations, some are bigger, but it expresses the outrage. Um, this has gone all over the country mm. um, like crazy, and the outrage at being a good Samaritan being given a ticket for a hot plate of food, which is, you know, totally protected. It's, you know, I have thermometers in there and I make sure it's hot and uh, I can't say the same for other restaurants. So, um, I don't know. I think they just picked on the wrong person on, on Tuesday night. <laughs> so I, I had, I had one, I know I had one more question. I don't know if Billy yeah. has more, but I had one more question. Are you the coolest woman in Texas? Because I am in love with you right now. <laughs> <laughs> don't tell. Aww, don't, that's so sweet. Thank you. Don't tell my oh. wife. I don't tell my wife. I said that, but she doesn't listen. Billy and I have this running joke. Our wives don't listen to the show, so we can say pretty much whatever we want. But <laughs> I am just. I am absolutely in love with you, and so proud of what you're doing, and the spirit in which you do it, and and the lack of timidity. You have no fear, and I think that that's just. There's so so few people now who who profess one thing who are actually but are actually willing to do it. Well, yeah, I, no, I, I agree. And, and you know, people just have to give stand up and give a voice to those who have no voice. Yeah. And it's the people that that are down on the bottom. You know, you just have to put your hand out there and pull them up, hmm. uh, or sit down there with them. Yeah. And uh, and and. For the the government or any, you know, organized group, you just have to have a voice. I mean, my back, it's, you know, it's, I think it's an authority thing. You would have thought that maybe um, my great Catholic church training got me, me to be a little bit quieter or not. Or uh, maybe they say, you know, do unto others what you would do unto uh, you. But um, the other thing is, you know, I was a, a journalist before I got into this. And so I realized that... that telling the story and giving a voice to people is really, really important because um, these individuals are the invisible people in this town. And uh, I see them, and I can't believe nobody else sees them, but they don't want to. And, you know, we're all here together, and those are my neighbors, and those are my friends. I've done this for a while. You know, I'm not going to abandon them. Mm. And when the officer said, you're not doing this, next Tuesday, because oh, he gave me the court date, and it was June 23rd, and I said, can you, um, can you tell me what day of the week that is? And he said, you want us to look it up? And I said, officer, I don't have a calendar here. And so one officer looked it up and said, Tuesday. I said, God, come on, you guys. Can't you just make it Wednesday? And they, they said, why? I said, you know, I told you I cook on Tuesdays. And the officer said, well, you're not going to be cooking anymore. And I said, I beg to differ. I'll be here next week and I'll have a really good meal for you next week and the week after and the right. week after and the week after. 
So have you got? Have you been there? I mean, have you? Because now this is what this is ten days, twelve days ago. Yeah, no, the week. Yeah, Uh, we got ticketed on the seventh and went on the fourteenth. And guess what we saw at the park when we drove up? But a park filled with at least a hundred people holding candles and signs and and uh, the. news channels so the tv stations were all there <laughs> and they were singing amazing grace or something and i was just looking over my shoulder and i thought no these guys aren't coming back now mm. now they they feel the temperature of the city and they're mad mm. uh, and then uh, people have been calling city hall and and their uh, city council person and and going online and on radio shows and everything else saying you're making her a criminal? Are you kidding me? Wow. So, um, yeah. But, uh, so when you so got the, there, this, there was a vigil. I mean, they basically, they had they had set up <laughs> to support you. Yeah, Were you surprised yeah. by that? Well, I knew it was coming because I'm friends with, you know, we all hang kind of together. And so there, my friends from the Peace Center of San Antonio who have, uh, have this campaign of let's make San Antonio a compassionate city, and they do all sorts of workshops and and um, Catholic Worker, my friends from Catholic Worker House, you know, that's a Dorothy Day, um, wonderful project that she put together when she was alive. There's 362 of them uh, places for the homeless and the downtrodden to go to all across the United States. Um, just people, I mean, from all different groups, churches. I had uh, some of the nuns from the order that taught me. Um, uh, a very long time ago, and um, anyway, it was just it was a whole it was a whole group of people. It was people in the community from all different sides, and uh, to express their outrage and sign a petition. Wow! And well, it, listen, it worked. It worked because I mean something's going on because uh, I got an early morning text. Hey, you're on the front page of the newspaper. <laughs> and I said, "What newspaper?" That's great. <laughs> I love it. Well, you know, listen, we really appreciate your time and we want to have you back on the show, especially as we inch towards that uh, court date and and any developments, let us know. We'd love to talk with you and we want to make sure we continue to follow up on this story. Oh, absolutely. I'd love to talk to you. I had a really good time. Thanks, you guys. Well, thank you. We appreciate it. All right. Have a good one. Okay, you too. All right. Stay safe. All right. Thank you, Joan, for what you're doing. Good luck. Thanks. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. The Church Boys. The Church Boys. Man, I hate these guys. You know, I hate the Church Boys, too. I really do. I just, it's, you know, Satan. <laughs> I hate, Satan ha- I hate half of them. Build us up. <laughs> well, you shouldn't hate yourself. That's not uh, very Christian. <laughs> but, uh, so we're back with our last quick story that we want to talk about. And, this is this kid. His name's C.J. Pearson. He's a 12-year-old conservative, um, African American. Really interesting, funny, uh, controversial little kid. And he puts out videos about social political issues. He has a video out about L. Sharpton. Um, he put it out a few days ago. In this video, he goes in this tirade about how L. Sharpton is basically awful and a divider, and how he does, he's not doing good things for African Americans. And he concludes this clip <laughs> by calling L. Sharpton. A waste of human flesh. Okay, so let's and, go ahead. And when you're watching, but when you're watching it, you're not thinking this kid's twelve years old, right? 
<laughs> I mean, I mean, you, you at twelve years old, you were playing with My Little Ponies, and you know, eating bonbons. Well, and... I was, I was playing with My Little Ponies. <laughs> you're saying, wait, who's Billy? You're saying that I played with My Little Ponies. I have I'm, seen I... your doll collection, my friend. <laughs> well, dolls and My Little Ponies are a little different. That's true. My Little Ponies are much more fun. All right, let's uh, let's get to. We're just gonna play like the last twenty twenty two seconds of this clip. All right, and you can just get you get to hear. You'll get to hear him um, call out <laughs> Big Gay Al. Here we go. Oh, man. <laughs> no, Big Gay Al. No, wait. Before I go any further, I'm not calling him gay. Big Gay Al's from um, from South Park. You know what I'm talking oh, I'm, about? I'm a Christian, so I don't watch South you know, Park. That's right. I forgot. You're a good godly man. Here we go. You're out of your mind. And I'm sick and tired of people like you being the voice of my of my community, of my race. Because you're not. We are more sensible than you, Al. We're not in this for the money. We're in this to get a voice. And you, you're not that voice. What's what's that music? So did you put I that music? No, I, I did not put that. Do you have in. something auto playing? Um, try it again. Okay. Because the story you wrote, I mean, like the hook is the the waste of flesh. Was that music there when you wrote it? No, no, I did not. No, I transcribed it, I'm and you can't and hear it. I'm sick and tired of people like you being the voice of my. Okay, I have nothing else playing. Of my race, because you're not. We are more sensible than you, Al. We're not in this for the money. We're in this to get a voice, and you, you're not that voice. What is that? You're a waste of but that's. I have. Okay, there's nothing else playing. No, that that sounds like an intentional somebody, overlay did somebody, of sound. Does somebody put sound over it? Like that's not that, from the kid, is it? I, I you know, I just as as we're recording the show, I just reached out to him um, to ask him about that. Oh, so I have no idea, but that is very weird because that sound was not there. People like you being the voice. Let's, let's of try my it one more time. Maybe I'm going straight to the YouTube page race. because you're not. This is on YouTube. We're more sensible than you, Al. We're not in this for the money. We're in this to get a voice. And you, you're not that voice. This is weird. You're a waste of okay, so something. Okay. It starts exactly when he says you're a waste of human flesh. Yeah, it's like, it's, I mean, again, there could be just some sort of technical glitch, but it's weird that suddenly there is noise covering up him calling him uh, a waste of flesh. The, the, you realize the, the that hook there's the never story. been noise overlaying me calling you a waste of human flesh, well, which has happened numerous times. That's because everybody on both sides of the aisle agrees. <laughs> no, mean, this is weird. This is Definitely weird. It's weird. like if I were a conspiracy theorist, and I'm, and I'm not, I'd say, what is YouTube doing? Are they covering up what this kid's trying to say? Who? Wh where did this come from? I mean, how is I mean, that? this is just a basic clip he posted to YouTube. He posts them pretty regularly. Well, what about so... his face? Doesn't he have a, a Facebook page or something? What is on his Facebook page? Well, he does, and I just looked at his Facebook page. There's nothing on there about this, and it looks like a page attributed to his name has been suspended too, which is a little bit that's, weird. That's hinky. I, I reached out to his uh, personal page. I mean, again, he's only he's only 12, so I know he's run into problems in the past with Facebook because I think there's an age restriction. But sure. Interesting. Very odd. Um, and he's the same kid who, who supported when um. When when Rudy Giuliani Rudy Giuliani came out and said President Obama doesn't live America, this this is the same kid who came out and supported. Yeah, I mean it is the same kid, and you know Chris Field doesn't love America, but 
we allow him to be on the church boy. We allow you to be on the church boy still. I mean, <laughs> I just, I loathe you with every fiber of my being. Well, you know, more on this. We will be getting back. Speaking and, of morons. Uh, finding out more. <laughs> more on. More, more, on oh, this, more about this story. So, okay, well, then maybe we have something to talk about for next week. Uh, we'll see if. Something I'm else gonna happens, find out else who developed. put that music on the. Clip. Well, where did that yeah. come from? It's but it's really weird, don't you think? That's weird? weird. I mean, you and I no, prepared for this weird. show. We had that clip ready to go, and suddenly we play it while we're on the show. And not not that they're targeting our show, and that has nothing to do with it. But suddenly now there's music over the the money line. Well, I tra- like I said, I transcribed this, so there'd be no way I could have transcribed it if that was there when I first watched it yesterday. Well, I, and and there's no way you wouldn't have noticed the music. Right. I mean, it was there in the original. It was. It there was no music there in the original. Nope. Hmm. Interesting. The Very plot, odd. The plot thickens. Indeed. Dun, dun, dun. Can I be done with you this week, now? Yes. Please? Do you have any words of wisdom for the people? Read your Bibles. And the blaze. We love you. Bye bye. Bye. Church Bowl.